I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. This episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, Katsu Global. Katsu has made a huge difference in my life, both in strength and recovery. So I'm thankful for their support of this podcast. And I will tell you more about Katsu later on in this episode. Pursuit peeps, I have been following today's guest for quite some time, and I am thrilled that she is finally on the show today. And we might be best friends now. From collegiate diver to bodybuilder to high diver, Ellie's Smart shows us that the sky is truly the limit and every step along the way teaches us a little bit more about not just who we are, but who we are capable of becoming. Like many of us athletes, Ellie grew up with Olympic-sized dreams and she threw herself all in from a young age, but her journey didn't become quite what she had planned or imagined. She walked away from the sport altogether in college, hanging up the suit for good. Or so she thought. There came a day where she had a true aha moment, literally on the edge of a cliff. And she knew in that moment that there might be an entirely new world of opportunities and adventure in store for her. But choosing to jump into high diving, an extreme sport with few permanent facilities around the world, made the beginning of this new chapter a little challenging. But what you'll quickly discover in this episode is that Ellie's passion is only upstaged by her actions. This is a woman who says, we don't have a high diving facility. Let's build one. And then she literally goes and builds it. Ellie also loves sports psychology. So you know that the two of us are just going to dive all in and discuss the huge topic in her sport, fear. I don't think there's anything that can stop Ellie Smart once she sets her mind on making it happen. She is super relatable. She's a real go-getter and you are going to love her. You may already know that mental training is my passion, and it's what I became so good at throughout my career. Well, now I've started personally coaching athletes on their mindset and performance. From juniors to pros, diving to shooting, athletes have started trusting me with their biggest struggles and left our calls smiling with renewed hope and more confidence. Some of the best things that have come out of these coaching sessions are athletes realizing that they're not the only ones dealing with their struggles, whether it's mental blocks, anxiety, injuries, pressure, or just flat out frustration. Through our calls, athletes are beginning to understand that there are ways to move past these often devastating roadblocks. Sometimes it's just helpful to have someone who's been in your shoes help guide you out of the woods. Well, I've definitely been there. So if one-on-one coaching with me is something that you want to learn more about, just go to laurawilkinson.com slash coaching. That's laurawilkinson.com slash coaching, or you can click the link in the show notes. Before we start, make sure you smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you are loving the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Please tell your friends about this podcast so that we can continue to improve and grow, bringing you just more resources and tools and inspiration every week. All right, I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. Ellie Smart, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so stoked that you're finally here. I am so excited to be here. You are like my ultimate inspiration since I was a little girl, so I'm very excited to be chatting with you. Yay! 
Well, walk me through because you are a crazy person who dives like 60 something feet up in the air, 20 meters or so. But I know you just didn't start by taking one crazy step off the 20 meter. Like how did your whole journey in diving begin? So my parents belonged to a a little summer pool that I would go to and they had a diving team. And so I was also in like gymnastics class. So I was like, oh, diving, that seems fun. And I just fell in love with diving and and jumping off the board. And I'm from Kansas City and we don't have a platform in Kansas City, but at KU, they have a five meter platform. So when I started training with the club team there, I would go off the five meter and I just loved it. And then the University of Missouri was only like two, two and a half hours away. So one day I convinced my mom to drive me up to go try 10 meter diving. And I remember I did my first ever like 10 meter optional. It was a full in Mm -hmm. and I landed so short and flat and everyone (laughs) expected me to come out crying. And I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) And I went straight back up and did it like two more times and landed terribly. But I just always loved the thrill of platform diving. And I never knew high diving was actually a possibility. I really knew nothing about it. So I graduated from college. I stopped diving. I had new, like no idea about it. And then I found out through uh, David Colturi, who actually was my camp counselor when I went to Purdue diving camp <laughs> as a little girl. And he knew, and I was like, Hey, what's this thing? And he gave me some pointers. And, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. And now here we are. I'm on my fifth season now. It's crazy. Oh my goodness. That Okay. Well, you make it sound like it's such an easy process. But first of all, how old were you when you went off the 10 meter for the first time? Oh gosh, I must have been like 12. I think you did an optional off 10 meter at 12. Yeah. Like 12 or 13. The first time I I did it. That's impressive. I think I got my, I got a 10 meter list and I was either like 14 or 15 when I learned my 10 meter. It wasn't crazy big or anything, but Mm -hmm. one that I could compete in the senior event. And so what was your journey just, I mean, in the, I guess, Olympic, like Olympic diving, I guess we'll just call it to define the difference between Olympic diving and high diving, right? I mean, did you, you go through the whole junior national process and then you went to college? Like, what was that part of your story like? Were you amazing right from the beginning or are you crushing everybody? Like what was your beginning journey like? So my beginning journey was, it was interesting. As a little girl, I was like, I'm going to the Olympics. I don't care what sport. I'm just going. I remember when I was like three years old, I watched ice skating in the Olympics. And I would just, from that moment, decided I'm going to go to the Olympics. And I really didn't care what it was in. And then once I fell in love with diving, it was like, I have to go to the Olympics. Um, And so I started doing 10 meter diving. And because we didn't have a platform in Kansas City and Missouri was pretty far away, I actually moved to Texas to train with Wendy LaRue at Texas A&M where I could like learn and focus on platform diving. And I learned my 10 meter list with her. And I was never... I. I was never very good, to be honest. Like I I was this girl who was like, I'm going to the Olympics. And everyone was like, yeah, right. You know, like no one wanted to break it to me that I wasn't good enough, but I definitely was not good enough. But I knew I had to stay on that path for some reason. And so, yeah, it's funny how it kind of all worked out, but that was really always my goal, my dream. I wanted to represent Team USA. I wanted to go to the Olympics and I would practice my gold medal speech, you know, in the shower every single night as a kid. And my autograph in class, I used to get in trouble all the time for like practicing my autograph. (laughs) Um, So 
I graduated high school. I went to UC Berkeley where I dove and I actually only dove for two seasons in college before I decided to step away from the sport. There was just some things going on at the team with the team that I didn't personally agree with. And mm-hmm. I kind of was like, okay, I can either transfer or I can just suck it up, finish school in three years and just be done with diving. And so I, at that point, it was kind of like obvious I wasn't going to make the Olympics ever. So I made the decision to just retire from diving, hang my swimsuit up. I really just never thought I would do it again. So it was kind of a crazy, crazy ride. And I'm I'm glad I hung on, even though I was never going to be a uh, Olympian. Who knows? We might still get there with high diving. So how was that transition like? I mean, you you had all these goals, these big dreams. They weren't coming to realization. You're like, I'm just going to be done. I'm going to finish college. Like, what was that time away from the sport and trying to make that transition? Like, like, were you okay with it? Were you happy and moving on? Were you like missing it? Like, what was that transition time like? It was so difficult. I mean, my whole identity was wrapped around being an athlete. And that was like, as a kid that, you know, I was always the athlete. I was the girl that moved away from home to train. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, your friends don't know if you're good or not, but like they know you as the athlete. And so when I walked away from diving, it was, it was honestly the hardest period of my life. Just trying to figure out like, who is Ellie Smart? Like, who am I outside of diving? Because it had really consumed my identity for so long. And I mean, looking back, I I needed that time away from the sport to find myself. I mean, it's still a journey. I'm still working on it every day. But I think that that time was super necessary to understand that, you know, whether you go to the Olympics or not, or whether you, you know, win a national title or even make nationals, like, you are still a worthy person by yourself. You're not defined by, you know, what you achieve. Yes, for sure. Well, so how long was it while you were done until you kind of, I think you like went to just some cliff with a friend or something, right? Yeah. So it was almost like exactly a year that I had not been diving at all. And I, I actually did a bodybuilding competition, which my parents, Wait, my parents, pause, pause. Yes, tell me about yes. this. <laughs> so, okay. It was one of those like, <laughs> NPC bikini competition. And my parents were like, oh my gosh, are you sure you don't want to keep diving? (laughs) Like, why are we doing this? But I, you know, it actually, it taught me so much about like diet and training in the gym and getting stronger and things like that. Like I definitely growing up struggled with like eating issues, being, you know, an elite athlete. And so for me, it was like a really cool learning experience, which I've taken so much of that into now my professional career. I already lost track of where I was going with that question. I forget I, what you asked. That, that was awesome. I, I love I, I love random <laughs> side notes. Like I did see a picture. I'm glad you brought it up because I, I forgot to write that down. But I did see the picture and I was like, wow. Because it's so funny how like tan you guys get too. Like that's almost the more Gosh. like shocking part to me. Is it like how in shape you are? I'm not surprised you're like so in shape but how like dark your skin looks. <laughs> you know, you like walk in a room and like you're all standing there and they just spray you all down. And you're like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, no, you're telling me about, so it was about a year between when you hung up your suit and you kind of ventured out somewhere with a friend to a cliff. Yeah. And so my friend was like, let's go cliff jumping. And at the time, I'd actually just gotten back from an, a fashion internship in Barcelona. Oh, wow. So I was like super like girly girl at this point and like, you know, like mud cliffs. No. <laughs> and I, I told her, I'm like, sorry, I'm not going to go with you. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going by myself if you don't come. And for some reason, I just like could not sleep that night. 
And so I texted her, I'm like, fine, pick me up in the morning. And then I ended up going with her and it was called McLeod Falls in, in California. And we drove four and a half hours to get there oh, wow. just to be there for a couple hours to drive four and a half hours back. <laughs> but it really was, you know, what people describe as that like aha moment of, I just remember standing on that cliff and being like, maybe like, this is what this whole journey was supposed to lead to. Like maybe this is what I meant to end up doing. And, you know, fast forward now, I'm, I'm very glad I stuck with it. <laughs> so, I mean, did you know about cliff diving at that point when you were standing on that cliff? So at that point, I kind of knew about it. Like I, to me as a diver, I only knew a lot of people that went and kind of did shows. So mm-hmm. like Cirque du Soleil and, and things like that. House of Dan- Dancing Water in Macau. And for me, that was just something like personally never saw myself doing. So I never really considered continuing diving as an option. Mm-hmm. But I did know, as, as I said before, David Colturi, who was on the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series. And I had been following him for a while. But at the time, I didn't know women were actually on it. So after that day, I went home and I researched all of it. And I found out that women had been added to the series. So after I jumped off the cliff in McLeod Falls, I knew David Colturi and I knew he did it. But at that moment, I didn't know that women were involved in the sport yet. So I went home and I did all my research and I found out that, you know, women were now of the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series and that FINA had actually adopted like the sport of high diving as a discipline. And they were, you know, world championships and world cups. And that's when I kind of realized maybe there is an opportunity to continue diving and see where this goes. So what, and I'm guessing David probably gave you some guidance here, but like, how do you just start that? Because there's not that many cliffs, you know, I know like we're just now starting to have like actual sites where you can train, you know? So like, how do you even get started? To be honest, like how you can start now is a lot different than how you could start six years ago. When I started, when I started, it was really like, Oh, you want to do it? Like, huck yourself off a cliff and see if you have like the guts to do it. Like it was, it was terrifying. I mean, David was like, Oh, work on your branny and do this and that. And it's like, you can go do that at a normal diving pool, but to actually like go up higher, they're really the only place I could do it was kind of off of cliffs. And so I made friends. I searched on Instagram and found a bunch of these freestyle cliff jumpers who didn't do like normal diving form. They did like skiing form. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hey, like, I want to do this. Can I come hang out with you guys? And like (laughs) invited myself. And I ended up going cliff jumping with them a couple of times. And the first time I went to a 20 meter cliff to go, I couldn't go. And it was so scary. And I stood there and I just thought, okay, maybe I'm like so off on all of this. Like, it's just not possible. Like, I don't think I can do this. And I went home and a couple days went by and I was like, just so upset with myself. Cause I was like, I know I'm supposed to do this. And so I, I texted some of the guys and I said, can we go back and go jump there again? And they're like, okay. So we went back and, and I did my first ever 20 meter dive. It was a forward double half. So it's like a front one and a half into a branny. And I will never forget that moment. It was just so surreal. It was like, I just felt like whether it was diving or anything else, like I unlocked a new level of myself that I knew was there, but I didn't know how to get it out. 
Well, and that's like surreal to me. So just to explain for anybody listening who doesn't know what a branny is, it's basically a front flip half twist. So in diving, you want to check out, land on your head, but on cliff diving, you land on your feet. So you basically do what you would do off of like a 10 meter essentially, right? And then you do this front flip half twist at the end so that you can see kind of where you're, where the water is and land on your feet, right? Exactly. That is exactly how it works. So like conceptually in my head, I get this. Like, and I, I sit here sometimes and I close my eyes and I like go through what the dive would be like and then brandy out. But like, I can't imagine ever doing it because like you said, you kind of have to just do one. You can't really, there's not a lot of, I don't think there's a belt work for that stuff. I mean, you just kind of have to go try the first one off the cliff, right? Yeah. I mean, now like coaches are starting to pull it in belts and doing things like that. But like when I was learning it, there were, there was just none of that. It was, I'd never done it. I was like, okay, we're 70 feet up in the air and we're just going to hope that these two skills I've learned come together. And so, I mean, you did this first front double half, which is, <laughs> that must've felt so exhilarating. I mean, I can't even imagine like the, okay, I'm alive. Like, <laughs> went okay. Like how cool. What are next steps after that? How do you start picking up more just by going off random cliffs and jumping with people? First of all, I don't suggest that anyone learns the way I learned. <laughs> like there are so much like better ways and safer ways to learn now. But at the time it was just kind of like, I, I didn't have necessarily a coach or anything. It was just like, okay, like hold yourself accountable. So I would go to Woodward, this trampoline park. I was living in Lake Tahoe and I would just train there every day, like into the foam pit. Cause I mean, it's winter oh, in Tahoe, cool. it's yeah. freezing. And then, you know, we would go cliff jumping sometimes in the snow. And that's like what I did to practice. And then I actually was like, my mom was like, okay, if you want to do this, let's figure out a way for you to do it. That's a little safer. Like (laughs) this just seems like it's not the best idea. And I was like, "Uh, okay, fair enough. And I'm actually in Plymouth, England. They had built high diving platforms into a quarry. And Owen Weymouth, who is now my fiance, but at the time was just a random guy on Instagram. (laughs) I sent him a message and I said, Hey, like, I want to be a high diver and you have this training facility. Can I like come to England and train with you? And he's like, who's this American girl that like, you know, has only jumped off a couple of cliffs saying this. And so he was like, I mean, I don't know, but here's my coach's number. You can ask him. And so I reached out and uh, he was like, yeah, come on over. So I bought a one-way flight in May to go to England and learn how to dive. My goal was really to learn within a year to get a competition list and and then hopefully the next summer get to compete in my first competition and i learned the full list which is only four dives for high diving Mm -hmm. in three weeks and i like in three weeks later i was invited to my first red bull event (laughs) so it was like very fast and crazy and hectic and I had no idea what I was doing. And Which just, is maybe like, good, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and my first ever Red Bull event was in Innismore, Ireland. And it was like the most brutal event. It was freezing cold and the waves were crazy. And the whole competition almost got called off because of the weather. But I was, I mean, I was so excited. I was, didn't care at oh, that point. Yeah. But I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I survive that event? You know what's so cool about about your story? And it's not just that, I mean, obviously, hurling yourself off a cliff that high takes a lot of guts and courage and bravery and all the things. But what you were doing to me, like just reaching out to random people and asking to hang out with them and jump off cliffs, asking, you know, getting a one-way ticket to go with this random team to train, like there are, are elements of courage in that that I think holds a lot of people back. 
you know, just to step out kind of on this, like, I really want this. So I'm going to try anything and being willing to step out of your comfort zone. I mean, are you so social that 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 like didn't bother you at all? Or was that a hurdle in any way, shape or form? I mean, for me, I've done that like my whole life. I've always tried to step out of my comfort zone. It's definitely not easy. Sometimes I, I, even today, will be like, who am I to be asking this person to do this? Like, you know, what, like, who, who am I to be doing this? But I also know that, you know, the answer is always no if you never ask. Mm. So I would rather ask and, and get the answer no than not ask at all and maybe miss out on a, you know, really cool, incredible opportunity. So I definitely get, embarrassed or shy or, you know, self-conscious sometimes when I have things that I really want to do. Like, it's definitely not just like easy, but I don't, I know that like the reward of asking and and what could come of it is so much better than not asking. Mm, I think that's such a powerful lesson um, for me, for anyone listening that has struggles with that part of it, with communicating, with, with stepping outside of that comfort zone. Because like you said, The answer is always no if you don't ask or you don't try or you don't take that step. But it could be yes if you make that effort. That is just an awesome piece of advice right there. So you go to England, you learn a list in three weeks, you are on the Red Bull cliff diving series. I mean, how many events did you go to in that first season? The first season, I was invited to two events. And to be honest, I did not do very good in either event. I was so nervous. I just, I didn't have it. The experience with with high diving, it's a little bit different because you, or at least specifically with Red Bull Cliff Diving, is you get thrown into these conditions where sometimes you're diving from 20 meters and sometimes you could be diving from 23 meters. And sometimes it's sunny and sometimes it's windy and sometimes there's like three meter waves and sometimes there's not. Mm. So it really is one of those sports that takes experience to kind of be able to perfect the bottom half of your dive and know how to adjust in the air accordingly. So, I mean, I struggled so hard that first season. I didn't dive very well, but I I definitely got a taste of what it was like, which really motivated me to like go home and work harder and kind of continue down this path. And that's a good point too, because I I have heard from divers that like they'll do a really good dive, but they didn't time it right with the waves or whatnot. And then you end up getting this really bad whiplash or things can happen. Did you get hurt in those first couple events from issues like that at all? So I actually had a nickname and it was DB. It stands for degree of butt because they would make (laughs) fun of how much I splashed and landed on my butt. (laughs) Oh my gosh. People always say to me now, like, how do you, how, how do you always rip all your dives? And I'm like, you will get there. You just have to land on your butt a million times first. Oh, I mean, is that super painful? Because you guys hit it, what, like upwards of 60 miles an hour or something, right? Yeah. And it, it definitely does not feel good. It's painful. It can hurt pretty bad. I've had one pretty bad landing and I my skin actually like welted and I got blisters and oh. they like popped. And it was, I mean, it, it is dangerous if you, you know, don't do it right and you're not paying attention. So, you know, safety is the number one thing that, before you ever do it, you need to make sure that you're in a safe place with safe people and there's, you know, an easy exit from the water. Yeah. There's my little safety tangent just for anyone who's thinking of jumping off a cliff. <laughs> Very important for all that. I know if you've ever watched an event, you guys, like there's always safety divers in the water watching that's, you know, ready to dive in and get anybody at a moment's notice. So it's cool. Well, so how do you end up? Okay. So you got your first two competitions under your belt. Do you stay in England to train? So between stops, I would go back and forth from England. And then I actually went back to Minnesota 
for the winter, or I, I guess I had just moved to Minnesota at that point. Before that, I was just kind of bouncing around, figuring out post-college life, what, what in the world I was going to do. But so I moved back and then I went back out to England for the next summer. So, well, like, so did, did you move to Minnesota for anything particular or had you lived there before? Because I thought you were a Midwest girl and then you were in California. Yeah. So I'm from Kansas City. I actually moved there for a boyfriend at the time. I know. I bold moves, always, (laughs) always moving around. It's funny. It worked out really well, though, because Wimbo Chen um, is the coach at University of Minnesota. And he had been one of like my dream coaches my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, Kelsey Bryant, actually, when I was a little girl and was going to quit diving, she reached out to me and gave me this really nice little speech about why, you know, you should keep going. And I'll always remember that. And I like, I used to have a fish that I would name Wimbo. And like, every time I died, I would get a new fish and rename it Wimbo. Like I just loved him. (laughs) So it worked out perfect. I knew I'd be in good hands training wise and and whatnot. And then I ended up becoming the graduate assistant and doing my master's at the University of Minnesota. So that's how I ended up just kind of staying there a little bit more long term. That is so cool. So it does. And did Wimbo coach you like doing your lead ups for 20 meters? Yeah, Wimbo has been coaching me like on and off at first because I was um, the graduate assistant when I first moved there for the two years. I was the one like on deck coaching, but he would he would help me out and coach me here and there when we had some like spare time and the pool was free. But now I actually train with the University of Minnesota's college team. So I'm I'm coached by Wimbo in the off season or my off season, they're on season during the year. So it's been great. So, so you got to tell me the truth. How is Wimbo as a high diving coach? Because I know that's got to be outside his element too. Oh my gosh, Wimbo and Shelly, who is the graduate assistant right now, they are so good at coaching high diving. Really? Like, Wim- Wimbo jokes and he's like, oh, I don't know what I'm saying. But then he'll give me like the most like elaborate answer that like makes so much sense. And like, helps me like it really this season has been a total game changer for me like i i've been a different athlete than i ever was before and like i really believe it's because of wimbo and shelly like they've just helped me like unlock my potential and they like know so much it's it's really crazy it's how much i've changed just as an athlete in 6 months working with them that's awesome that is really awesome so what was kind of next? Because I think in 2018, I mean, you went and medaled at like the World Cup, right? There's a FINA World Cup. So that's a little different from just the Red Bull cliff diving, right? It's uh, it's more of the FINA sanctioned world event, correct? That's correct. So I, I went home and then I went back for my second season as a wild card. And I think I got two, maybe maybe three competitions that season. And to be honest, I dove even worse than the first season. I I did terrible. I did so bad. And really? I remember just coming back and thinking, you know, maybe this just isn't for me. Like, I'm just so sick of failing at things. Like, I was really, really discouraged. And then going into the 2018 World Cup in Abu Dhabi, I actually said, you know, I'm, I'm personally... I use the word spiritual person, but I kind of said, you know, I'm just going to put this in in God's hands and see what he wants me to do. And I said, I'm just going to fully let go of control. I'm going to train. I'm going to see what can happen. And I'm not going to try to force anything. And if I do well, I'm going to keep diving. And if I have another bad event, then that's going to be my sign that it's time for me to move on. And so I really went into that competition with like, it was just so different. It was like, I was just 
at peace with the decision was like in kind of the universe's hands at that point. Like Like, I wasn't going to stop myself and like inhibit myself with like negative thinking or or whatever. I was just going to let it be what it was supposed to be. And that's when I won the bronze medal for the USA. And with that, actually that year, they had reserved one spot on the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series for whoever did the best but was not already qualified for the series. Whereas now you have to be top eight in the world rank to qualify. Mm -hmm. But at that point, I was nowhere near top eight in the world. But because I medaled at that event, I earned myself a full series spot on the tour, which was like no one expected and like no one at all would have thought that I would be the one to do that. And, And then that is really kind of slowly where my career started getting better and better. I mean, what was your reaction to that medal, to that performance? So to be 100% honest, I went home and I cried. And not the good kind of crying, like bad kind of crying. Like it was like, this is it. Like, <laughs> I was like, kind of okay well, with hanging it up. <laughs> yeah, like it was just kind of like, funny, I don't know how to like put it into words. I'm still trying to figure it out. But it was just kind of like, I thought that like, I wanted to represent Team USA and earn a medal for my country. And I thought that when it happened, it would be this like, Mm. surreal, incredible moment where I just like, I don't know, it's like you become a new person when you get it. And then all of a sudden, it's just you and everything's the same. And then there's another meet and life goes on and people compete and someone else wins the bronze medal. So it was really like a shocking moment for me. But it was like also very humbling to realize that like, if I was going to keep diving, I needed to dive for me mm-hmm. and not for like the results or like what it looked like from the outside to other people, because there's always going to be something bigger and better and different that you can do if you're basing your life on decisions of or opinions of other people. I think that is such a great point because people lose sight of that. Like you were even saying like our identity just gets wrapped up in being an athlete and and oftentimes just these goals or expectations we have of ourselves. And I mean, I've, I've stood on the podium too and, and my medals now they're, they're old and they're, you know, they've been dropped and they're dented and the ribbons are falling <laughs> apart. And I mean, it was great. It was a beautiful experience, but like getting a medal doesn't magically change who you are. It doesn't make all your problems disappear. It does all it does is sometimes add more difficulty. You know, it really yeah. doesn't take anything away. But it is a great thing to shoot for. It is a great thing to try and earn. But but who you become in that process and enjoying, like accepting that process, enjoying the journey and, and you know, becoming more and better, I think is really what we need to start embracing. You know, it's easier said than done. But um, I think that's what I've realized too along my journey is that like the, the medals are great and all, but it's it's not what you expect. And so you better make more out of that journey to get there. Exactly. I could not agree more. I first started using Katsu after I discovered it could be used for recovery. After speaking with a Navy SEAL friend that had used Katsu to help him recover from traumatic injuries, I decided to give it a try for an ongoing tricep issue I had. Within the first week, I noticed the cramping I had in my tricep would completely stop after a Katsu session. It also helped me recover much faster after platform workouts. After seeing such great recovery, I started to add Katsu into some strength training and plyometric workouts as well. And the craziest side effect that I noticed was that I was hardly ever sore from a hard workout that I did while wearing the Katsu bands. I feel like Katsu has given me the ability to get stronger while recovering faster. 
Katsu is the pioneer and gold standard of the emerging blood flow restriction market. Navy SEALs, world champions, and gold medalists use Katsu daily for improved performance, quicker rehabilitation, and unprecedented recovery from hard workouts, intense competitions, and even jet lag. Katsu was invented in Japan and has been used at every Winter and Summer Olympics since 1988. Katsu Global offers a variety of easy-to-use products that can be used safely and effectively in the comfort of your home, office, or during travel. It can be used for any workout or between training and competitions for recovery. To learn more about Katsu and even get 10% off, go to laurawilkinson.com slash Katsu. That's laurawilkinson.com slash Katsu. K-A-A-T-S-U. I love it. Well, you you now have been on the tour, what, six years? Is that right? Yeah, this is my fifth season. Fifth season. And my it's my third season as a full series diver. So permanently on the tour. That's so cool. And so and you stepped it up this year too. You learned a really big dive. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, actually, thanks to you um, <laughs> a little bit. You helped me a lot through it. But I learned a back arm stand. Oh gosh, I always get confused because I go back between coaching my like normal <laughs> 10 meter divers and then high divers. So is it what? Two and a half. Yeah. With two twists, right? Two twists. Yeah. Because you land on your feet. Right. So I bet back arm stand, it's a kind of a common 10 meter dive that you see people compete. And I have wanted to do that dive for so long. I actually learned it when I was 15, just in normal, like senior 10 meter diving. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew how to do the skill and I already do back twisters and twisting is kind of my thing. Mm -hmm. And I really, really wanted to do it. And I just had so many people telling me until you can hold a handstand for 10 seconds or whatever, like you, you shouldn't do it. And until you can press up to a handstand, it's just, it's not safe. You shouldn't do it. And so I never really pursued it as much as I knew I wanted to until like two or three months before this past season started. And I just decided, you know what, like, I'm on my own journey. If I balk, I would rather balk and try something new than try anything new and do the same list for another five seasons. And so I I cartwheel up. I actually watched your video, (laughs) all of your videos before I went up to do it the very first time. And I thought to myself, Laura won the Olympic medal and she cartwheeled. So I can (laughs) cartwheel. Um, And so I was the first ever person to do the cartwheel to get up instead of a press. I love it. It's it's honestly turned out to be one of my best dives. And it's so much fun. And it makes people, they get so nervous because, you know, it it does look a little scarier when you're up on 20 meters doing the cartwheel. But for me, it was just kind of deciding that like, what I wanted was to push myself and see what I was capable of. And if that meant balking or that meant, you know, getting lower in the podium. I mean, all last year, I got like fifth place consistently all year. And it was kind of like, so close, but not quite good enough. And mm-hmm. this year, I was like, if I'm, I'm not getting on the podium anyways, let's just, you know, yeah. play around. Yeah, <laughs> push the boundaries a little bit. I love it. I'm exactly. I, know, I, I love it when you left me that message. And, and we were talking about arm stand stuff. And then I, I was watching it. And it was so amazing. And you killed it. It was great. And then the next event you did, it was so windy. And you were just a freaking rock star out there. You were wobbling every which way, but you just did not. You fought so hard and did not let that go. It was so impressive. What was that one like? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was so scared. But there was 32 mile an hour gusts of wind. And it's one thing when it's like constantly windy, but when it's gusts of wind and like, you don't know when it's coming at you. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam. 
everyone said after the event, like all the media and the camera people, they were like, if we were scared for anything, it was you doing a cartwheel <laughs> on that platform. And when you did it, we went nuts. But it was it was so scary and it was funny. Like I like you said, like I wobbled and I found my balance and I did the dive and it went pretty well. And then my second dive, my final dive of the day, I did a back double three twists. And on that one, I went and put my arms out and I stepped forward, I think five different times and called <laughs> wind because it was so windy. And I was like, it's just funny how in your mind, I'm like, I'm not coming down from this handstand. And I, if nothing was going to let me come down. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I love that you're just fighting to push and, and improve yourself. And like you keep saying, unlock your potential. I love that, that phrase. Okay. I, I don't know which way I want to. I have so many questions. I was, you guys, I was telling Ellie before we started, I'm like, I have like seven pages of notes here. And so I just like, I want to know all the things. So I, I hope I'm not too scatterbrained on this. But I picked out this article I found from earlier this year, right before y'all's Red Bull season started. And it talks about fear. And I just love so many things that you said about it. And I kind of want you to talk about it a little bit. I don't want to put words in your mouth, like repeating the article. But tell me a little bit about facing fears in cliff diving and high diving? I think facing fears is such an interesting concept. And it's something that like everyone in the whole world can relate to. Like whether it's, you know, should I try to get this promotion at my job? Or like, should I pick this college over that college? Like there's everything we do has like an element of fear in it. And learning how to kind of calm the fear and just look at the situation and and see what you can do. And, and that if you put the fear aside, like what is there? What is the bigger thing that you can accomplish and you can make happen? And I think for so long, people would be like, Oh, just, you know, don't be scared, just do it. And and then like, that just really didn't resonate with me. I was like, <laughs> yeah. No, like, are you guys really not scared? Because I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I've done this a 100 times. I've jumped off this cliff and done the same skill. But it still makes me nervous every time. And I think it's learning to accept the fear. I think fear is a really good thing. Like physiologically, fear is great for us. Like it it enhances like our body, like our body is like on high alert, which Mm -hmm. makes us safer and able to make quicker reactions and do better things. So to me, like fear is necessary. Like we need fear, but we need to learn how to control fear so that it's in a healthy way and it's not holding us back. It's just keeping us safe. And that's something has taken me a really long time to realize or to even like put into words like how I deal with fear, but it's definitely not hiding it and not pretending it's not there. I mean, I think that there's fear every in everything we do all the time. It's just learning like how you're going to manage it and how you're going to use it and how you can how you can use it to your benefit sometimes. Definitely, definitely. Well, tell us about a little bit, um, like some of your strategies for managing fear. Like I know you talk about visualization, things that you maybe avoid during meets or around meets. Can you kind of walk us through some of that? Definitely. For me, learning to manage fear, it took a long time. Like this is my first season as a diver that I feel like I step on the platform and have control over my fear, like rather than it controlling me. Mm. And one of the biggest things, and I hated as a kid, people telling me to like, visualize and like model and breathe. I'm like, no, let's just do more reps. Like, come (laughs) on. Um, That was something I hated. But now it's something as I've, you know, gotten older and, and a huge thing for me is like meditation. Like I hate it. I always thought it was like the dumbest thing. But now I really try to like, before I go up on the platform to do a competition dive, like probably like or six people before me, like I will lay on the ground, I'll set a timer on my phone, and I will just breathe for three minutes straight. 
And what that does is it just like brings me back to my center and it kind of calms that fear down because sometimes like what I would try to do is when I felt really nervous and scared, I'd put my headphones on and I'd put some rap music and I'd try to like really like pump myself up so that like my energy and excitement like matched my fear. Mm -hmm. And I thought that like that would balance each other out. And then I just like, I would be crazy in the air and I wouldn't have no control (laughs) over my body. And so I actually realized, you know, if I center my fear and I calm it down and I get my breathing under control and I really like quiet myself. And like, I actually, now I don't listen to any music with lyrics anymore when I'm competing or training, because I find that that brings in emotion and, um, kind of up and down. And I try to really stay, you know, steady and like baseline. Mm -hmm. And so learning to control that and kind of finding out where my baseline is and, and how I perform best, which I always thought that if I did those things, then I'd perform worse. Mm-hmm. So it's it's funny because like you think you want this energy and this hype and this whatever. And and really sometimes that's the exact thing that's hurting you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really well said. And so what, what do some of the other divers do? I've seen some video clips behind the scenes of what, what do other divers do like to calm themselves down? Everyone really has their own like unique thing that they do. We were just in Copenhagen and it was so funny. We were diving off of the opera house and we were in this wow. complete room, which was like, this, it was kind of like this ballet studio and it had like a piano and ballet bars and all this. And literally between rounds, like people are watching this on like live on ESPN and it's like a big hyped up event. And like, no one would have any idea that like Gary Hunt is playing piano, like between (laughs) rounds, not, you know, like, no, like it's just, it's funny to see a lot of people like they juggle, like they, they do things that kind of keep them calm, but focused, Mm -hmm. I would say is, is what I've picked up on that people do most. Mm, I like that. I know you also like to avoid certain stuff like Instagram, um, kind of in and around the meet. Like, why do you do that? Definitely. For me, Instagram is such a great tool. Like without Instagram, I wouldn't have become a high diver. I wouldn't have met my fiance. I wouldn't have like Instagram is awesome social media in general, it can be applied to, but it's also can be so dangerous and so toxic. And um, I personally have just taken a new approach to it. Like if, if you look at my page, I'm very active. I post a lot, but actually even some of my best friends in the whole world, I have their accounts muted. So when they post stories and things like that, like they never come up. And it's not that I don't love them and I don't care what they're up to, but it's just every time I see it, and I see what other people are doing, specifically other athletes, it makes me think, am I doing enough? Should I be doing that drill? It it just makes you overthink everything and compare yourself to other people. And I really think comparison is just the absolute worst thing that you can do. And so I try to eliminate that as much as possible from my like everyday life. So, you know, if any of my friends are listening to this... (laughs) I love you, but uh, I'm not going to watch your Instagram stories. You can tell me all about it in person. That's another thing I hate. I hate when you want to tell a story and then people are like, oh, we know. And I'm like, how? And they're like, Instagram. And I'm like, oh, well, it's not fun, you know? So, So for me, I think it's just using social media to enhance yourself or learn or like if i want to learn a new dive i'll i'll watch videos of someone else doing it to study it and and that's so easy to like do that on instagram and social media but then there's also that other side of it where you can be on it too much and you can let what other people are doing influence you too much to the point that you you can't be the best you can be because you're just doubting every single thing you're doing mhm yeah no i think that's great you've got to strike that balance especially for 
the younger athletes coming up who've kind of grown up even more with that social media world. It's such a part of them. So I think being able to put it down to take a break sometimes is, is really important. And like you said, can clear your mind and keep you more focused on the task at hand, which is really important, especially when you're doing something crazy like diving off a 20 <laughs> meter platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want to hear all about the High Diving Institute. You created at Park City, Utah, this giant structure with all the platforms. It was the first high diving structure in the United States. Like, how did this come to be? How did you get this thing built? And tell us about all the things that you're doing from there. It is so cool. It is honestly the funniest story. I cannot believe that the whole thing even happened. But basically during COVID diving, you know, all of us, we didn't have meets, we didn't have events. And I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, like high diving is going to be the last thing that comes back because it's literally people from 30 different countries meeting up in a random country <laughs> to dive. Like it's not like, you know, USA diving meets where it's like at least people from different states within this country, you still can compete. And even if you can't go international, but I just had this moment of like, oh my gosh, like a, I need a job and money if I my, <laughs> my season is canceled. And so I reached out to a friend who, who actually, Ford McClaney, who was a really good diver himself. He dove at Texas A&M. And I just was like, I have this dilemma. I don't know what to do. And he was like, well, my company's like looking for a partnership manager if you want to, you know, apply. And I was like, okay, like, whatever, I'll do it. Like that's on school. So I applied and I ended up getting the job and the job was out here in Park City. So I went to visit and see the office and meet everyone. And on my way back to the airport, Ford was like, let's go see the Olympic Park. And I was like, oh, okay, like whatever, we can go see it. And it was snowing and we look at this pool and there's a super deep section that they had added on to the pool. And Ford was like, you know, I'm pretty sure that they have this like rock wall there that maybe you could jump off of if you move here. And I was like, oh, that's like a great idea. So I ended up Trace Worthington, who is the commentator for Red Bull Cliff Diving and a former aerial Olympian ski, he skis, skied. I'm saying that wrong. Sorry, Trace. <laughs> how do you, how do you pronounce that? Olympic aerial skier. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I reached out to him as well because he lives in Park City and he trained at the Utah Olympic Park and he's really involved with it. And I was like, hey, like, can you put me in contact with them? And I asked them, I said, can I jump off the top of your rock wall? And they were like, I mean, we'd let you, but we're not doing it anymore. And this is about March, March of 2021. That's when I thought to myself, well, could we build a platform? And everyone was like, okay, you have like three months, like no way can you pull off like building a platform. And I'd never done a construction project. I'd never done anything. I had no idea what in the world I was doing. And I called a couple people in the community who have done things. And I just had this idea. Can I do it? How do, how do I even start? Do I get engineering? Do I whatever? And a lot, like a lot, like 99% of people were like, there's no way you could do this. So like, maybe just like, calm down and think about it later. And I just, for some reason, I was like, no, like we're making it happen. Like I have to make it happen. I just like, I felt like I was on a mission and, you know, shout out to Kyle Mitrione, who is a former high diver and he's now in Cirque du Soleil in Vegas. And he was such an important person in the process who like helped me figure things out. And to the Olymp Utah Olympic park, I mean, I was just this young girl, with this idea, like talking to, you know, their 
CEO and their board, like, Hey, let me do this thing. I have no idea how to do it, but like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and, and we did it and we got the tower up and it was so exciting. And really for me, the, the main goal was I wanted to be able to share our sport and have people learn in a safe environment because how I learned was so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want someone to have to go get into the sport the way that I did, because it really, it really is not safe. And I, sometimes I have nightmares about some of the things I did, like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I cannot believe like I did that. And so for me, it was really just the passion of helping build, build the sport forward. And it's been amazing. And we've had so much support. And then this past off season, actually, we almost pulled the plug on the project. I didn't think we were going to do it. It was April and I still hadn't found, you know, the the money or the time or the the people or the anything that I needed to make sure that it happened. And I kind of went to everyone and I just was like, what do I do? And again, like 99% of the people in my life said, you know what, you did it once, Ellie, you proved you can do it, you don't need to do it again. And it was just like this moment of no, like you're wrong. Like I might not have the money now, but I'm gonna find it (laughs) somehow. And I decided to take that risk and and just go ahead with doing it. And I'm so beyond grateful I did take that risk. And it was a very calculated risk. It wasn't a, a random risk. I worked out the way we could make it work mm-hmm. in my head. And we put the tower back up and our opening weekend, we had all of the Red Bull Cliff Diving athletes out here for a training camp. And now we're gearing up for the second US High Dive Challenge and the first international junior high diving event actually next weekend. So for me, just getting to be part of building the sport has been so rewarding and so fulfilling. And it's made me personally enjoy diving so much more. Yeah, I, th- I think it's awesome. And I, I love watching you, even in Minnesota, when you've got your your little ones that you coach, you know, in regular Olympic diving, but then you've got them doing like learning the basic skills off 10 meter, off a mini tramp on 10 meter. And so just so you guys know, listening, this platform she built is not any normal platform. And it doesn't just have a 20 or 27 meter. It has a three, a five, a seven and a half, 10, 12 and a half, 15, 17 and a half, 20 and 27 meters. So you can actually progress your way up. And the videos you post of people like learning and you can totally tell when somebody has like some diving background and somebody totally doesn't, but it's fun to watch all of it in the same place where those aerial skiers go off into the water when they, when they do their um, like off season training and stuff. It's really, really awesome. So, I mean, is that the thing that they just build it? It's, it's kind of like a scaffolding looking thing. so they take it down during the winter and then they, you're like rebuilding it every summer. Is that kind of the goal or is the goal to get now maybe a permanent structure or what's, what's kind of the future of this looking like? Or are there funny? Yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. We're actually having a lot of conversations about what the future of this really does look like moving forward. I'm so excited they built this pool in Fort Lauderdale. I got to go to the media opening and dive there, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. Like it is an amazing pool, and so a lot of people just assume I'm going to not build this tower any longer because of Fort Lauderdale now being there. But our plan and our intention is 100% to keep doing it. We're actually trying to figure out if there's a way we could leave the tower up during the winter so that we don't have to deconstruct it and reconstruct it. And then eventually, I think the Utah Olympic Park and myself, we, we would love to see a permanent structure be put in place there one day. But right now, the, the plan is to keep pushing forward no matter what. I think more training facilities, the better. We're on two different sides of the country. There's So it's I think it's great. It gives us an opportunity to build the sport of high diving 
with the 2028 Olympics coming up and the potential of high diving being included in those games. Yeah. When are they going to decide on that? That's a good question. I do know that like everyone who's kind of part of the decision so far that I've heard is very supportive of it and really, really wants it to happen. But that's the like ultimate question is like when, like when and who do we really need to convince? Right. So. right. <laughs> well, I hope so. I mean, that would be absolutely incredible. And yeah, just for those of you listening, if you didn't know, Fort Lauderdale did just they revamped the Hall of Fame pool that was just swimming and and regular Olympic diving before. And now there is a complete stack of permanent platforms up to 27 meters right there in that Fort Lauderdale Hall of Fame pool just open this summer. So it's still brand new. So I mean, that would be incredible to have two facilities in one country because there are just so few permanent facilities around the world. So you guys are always building, you know, platforms out of cliffs and stuff. It's so crazy. Yeah. But well, tell me how, because you have another passion too that I think is so cool. It's called the Clean Cliffs Projects. Now, how was that kind of born? That's a funny one. So growing up, I grew up in Kansas City, not around water. I didn't travel much. I mean, I went to diving meets and whatever, but you know, I didn't really go a lot of places and do a lot of things. So to me, I didn't know anything about like plastic pollution, the ocean and things like that growing up. But when I decided to get back into high diving, or get into high diving after being a normal diver, I realized how unfulfilled I was by chasing this dream of getting a medal and then not getting it. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted it to be about something that was bigger than just myself. And going into my first season of high diving, I knew that, but I didn't know what it was going to be at that point. And then once I started traveling, I started realizing the same thing at every location and that was plastic pollution. And I kind of looked around the community and realized no one was doing anything about it. And that's when I had this moment of maybe this can be what I do to give back and gives me purpose. And so the Clean Cliffs was born. It was the Clean Cliffs project. Now we're just actually called Clean Cliffs. And we do projects all around the world. We do a couple different things. We do like cliff diving trips where we go to new places and we cliff dive and we do cleanups and we partner with local organizations. And we actually partner with the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series to help work and make events sustainable. And we do cleanups at every location we go to. And then Owen and I, Owen, my fiance, who's our co-founder, he and I, we give speeches to, you know, little kids, five-year-olds, all the way up to, you know, businesses and CEOs and things like that about how to give back and how to, how to be more sustainable and your choices. And it's been so great to have something to give back because at the end of the day, like if our oceans and our waterways and things keep getting polluted, we're not going to be able to do what we're doing. You know, I am so fortunate to have the opportunity to travel and to see all of these places. And I just feel an obligation and a duty to give back to all of these beautiful places because I want my kids to experience it one day. Definitely. Yeah. And the places, if anybody has ever watched any of your videos, um, just the places you guys go are absolutely incredible. Yeah. And we want people to be able to experience those for years and years to come. And I, I do want to talk a bit about your like work-life balance too, because <laughs> you, you are like crazy on the go all the time. I mean, you're coaching little kids, you are training, you're competing, you're traveling everywhere, you're running clean cliffs, you're building high diving platforms and making camps and, and competitions happen there. Like, how do you do it all? Like how, and, and you're engaged now too, not to mention that, like how, how do you do it all? Do you ever rest? <laughs> do you ever um, <laughs> break I actually, down? <laughs> I break down a lot, but I, I asked recently in an interview, you know, what do you do for fun? And I said, I I work. Like, what do you mean? So like for me, like doing these things, like 
they're not work. Like this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I love. This is what fills me up. This is what gives me joy. The business side of it actually gives me more joy than the diving myself side of it. So for me, it's been hard to find a balance. And you know, there's times Owen looks at me and he says, okay, I need an hour. Like I need, I need you for an hour. Let's go to dinner or let's, let's put our computer away. So I'm not that good at it yet. I'm still working on learning how to like balance it all and not take on more than I can, can chew. But for me, I think that the main reason why I've been able to do as many different things all at one time is because each of those things are truly something that I love and I enjoy and that fulfill me as a person. Mm -hmm. So that's helped me be able to kind of manage it all. I also have a a great therapist, a great (laughs) sports psychologist. Um, You know, I am not one to shy away from mental health. They have the hard hard days and, you know, I I just want to work through them so that I can see what I can accomplish. I think that that's the most exciting thing about life is like, we don't know, we get to like figure it out as we go. And, you know, I used to have a different approach of like, I want to know the answer now. Like, I want to know what I'm supposed to do. And now I have this whole new mindset of like, I'm so excited to see what I can do Mm. versus what I'm supposed to do. And so for me, just mindset shifting and things like that and, and working on that has allowed me to really be able to do more than I could. I love that. And I just so you know, I kind of think balance is really a unicorn. I don't think it actually exists. I mean, when you're, you're all in for something and you're doing it, you kind of have to be all in. So things will get a little out of balance. It's more about like juggling, you know what I mean? Kind of totally. Totally. Make sure it's all in the air and you're not dropping too many things too often. <laughs> but exactly. Like it's a little bit more what it might look like realistically. But when do you have a date set for the wedding? You know what? We don't have a date yet. It's kind of hard with the with the cliff diving calendar because we're so scared we're going to set a date and then there's going to be an event and we're going to have to cancel our wedding. <laughs> so we're kind of like... And we haven't decided where we're getting married either. Mm-hmm. We like fell in love in Greece and we love Greece. And we're actually going back to Greece this September for a competition. So I think when we're there, we're going to start looking at wedding venues and making a decision then. But so far, we've just been enjoying being engaged and being busy. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, Ellie, where can we follow you online, check out the High Diving Institute, learn about Clean Cliffs, and just cheer you on through your amazing adventure? The easiest place is probably Instagram. My handle's at L-E-T-Smart, E-L-L-I-E-T-S-M-A-R-T. And from there, you can get linked to, to Clean Cliffs, to High Diving Institute, and to all the different, you know, fun projects we're working on in the diving community. I love it. Ellie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I love everything that you're talking about, everything that you're doing, how you are facing things, your perspective. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Well, thank you for being a huge inspiration. You know, you growing up, you were my number one inspiration. Like mm. I you are just such an amazing human and it's so fun to to follow your journey too and see what you're doing and to to be sitting here, you know, talking to you is is amazing. And I'm so grateful. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.